0: Welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. My name is David Chen, and losers always whine about doing their best. Winners go home and record a film podcast. (laughs) Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar.
1: (laughs) I can't wait to see the Travolta version of this movie. It'll it'll be far worse. (laughs) Jeff Kanata.
2: I'm Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) No! Kanata.
1: Yeah.
0: And joining us today, <laughs> he is the author of Age of Cage, four decades of Hollywood through one singular career, and one of the writers behind The Reveal, a Substack newsletter about movies. He also co hosts the Next Picture Show podcast, Keith Phipps.
3: Hi. Uh, this podcast appearance I think of as a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom.
0: All right. Hey. Way to class well, it up, Keith. Yes. It was great. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Keith. Yeah, thanks um, for having me.
3: I'm excited to be here.
0: It's great to have you on. And uh, obviously, I'm I'm a big fan of everything Keith does. Um, I uh, am a patron of Next Picture Show. I'm a paying subscriber to the Reveal. Uh, I'm I'm basically going to help put your kids through, kids through college, Keith. Is I think what's <laughs> happening, you know? Just one. Uh, so
3: yeah, you know, uh, not that we don't we, we use all the support we can get, but it's just one.
0: In, in return for all of that, uh, he did give me a free copy of Age of Cage, so I was very grateful for that. But, um, but yes, uh, you have a new book about the career of Nicolas Cage. And so what better person to join us for our conversation today about The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, a movie in which Nicolas Cage plays himself. We're going to be talking about that later on. Uh, and we got some what we've been watching for you as well, a lot of stuff to talk about there. But before we get to that, uh, we want to talk about also what happened with Netflix last week. They're terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week. Uh, and I also want to mention, of course, that if you want to find more episodes of this podcast, you can always go to thefilmcast.com, email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. You can also support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash filmpodcast where you can sign up for ad-free episodes as well as exclusive After Darks. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've gotten some really cool stuff in the after dark last week we reviewed severance season one pr- probably one of the best debut seasons of a tv show ever uh we Indeed, covered that yeah. in depth full spoilers on the film cast after dark uh again available at patreon.com slash film podcast and this week you know we always get a lot of requests to do older films and this week we actually thought we'd go back in time And revisit another Cage classic. This one is Martin Scorsese's movie, Bringing Out the Dead. We are going to be discussing that in depth on this week's After Dark. Again, that's available at patreon.com slash film podcast. Now, why why Bringing Out the Dead? Well, Nicolas Cage recently has been doing a press tour for uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And he actually went on a um, Reddit Ask Me Anything. He was asked the question, like, what are your most essential films? And Keith Phipps, do you know what his most essential films, do you know what he identified as his most
3: essential films, are you I, aware? I believe he said uh, Bring Out the Dead, and yep. Pig, I believe, it was, was another one he mentioned. Was there a third?
0: Uh, leaving Las Vegas, I think. Mm,
3: yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So those are
0: the three canonical uh, Nicolas Cage movies, uh, and I was surprised that one of them came out so recently. You know, he has such a long career, but like one, a movie he made in the last year. Uh, or a couple of years, uh, is one that he considers one of his most essential. Uh, I pitched leaving Las Vegas and bringing out the dead to the, to the guys and they said, downvoted leaving yeah. Las Vegas too depressing. Let's do bringing too out depressing. the depressing, which has <laughs> zero depressing themes at all. So, <laughs> right, right. uh, so really glad we got to we were tackling that today, but I'm looking forward to the conversation again about bringing out the dead. It's going to be available on, uh, the after dark exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast. All right. Before any of that, before we've been watching, let's get to Netflix, guys. So, Netflix. You know, l- l- let me actually take this a little bit back. Let me say that I- I'm just going to say, you know, when COVID happened, obviously there were many tragedies, many terrible things that occurred. Uh, it upended society, and as a, as a very secondary, tertiary, auxiliary, whatever, like wait, you know, on the 99th, you know, rung of importance was this podcast <laughs> and uh, whether it could survive, you know, cause uh, <laughs> is the movie industry going to collapse? Like, are we going to have new movies to talk about each week? Those were open questions when COVID hits. And uh, you know, we launched the Patreon at patreon.com slash film podcast. People showed their support. And it's like, you know what guys, even if the movie industry collapses, we're still going to have streaming, baby, you sure. know, there's People still going stre- to yeah. be all this, this, Sweet, sweet content for us to watch, you know? Uh, yeah, so, people
2: aren't going to just <laughs> fall into oblivion without distracting themselves with something on a it, screen. Yeah.
0: A company as large as Netflix, uh, you know, a fang company, F-A-A-N-G, Netflix is the N, is not going to just lose a massive chunk of its value literally overnight, jeopardizing the streaming landscape or anything like that.
1: Yeah. It's it's not like this entire industry has been (laughs) built upon, you know, tons of investor money and very little profits. No, 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 no. Nothing like that, Devendra. Nothing like that. Well, anyway,
0: uh, last week during an investor call, Netflix disclosed a 200,000 drop in subscribers in Q1 of 2022. Uh, Oops. That's the, the first time subscribers have dropped. Now, uh... 700,000 subscribers were lost when they pulled out of Russia due to Mm -hmm. uh, world events. But the real nail in the coffin was that the company projected they would lose 2 million subscribers next quarter. So they didn't win that Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So true. So true. It's all Jane Campion's fault. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, So. This sent their stock off of a cliff. I think it lost more than one third of its mm-hmm. value, which is a staggering amount, right?
1: Tens and 50 tens billion of billions, dollars yes, worth of market cap, billions
0: yeah. of dollars of market Gone. cap, literally overnight, and it has not recovered. It's not like it, it went down and then went back; it like bounced back. Like it's still down there, right, in terms of the stock price. And they identified a, a number of of headwinds that they have to deal with. Um, first of all, it turns out that when you create a streaming service and you say to everyone, we need to build up our content faster than you guys can build up your own streaming services, uh, the other people right. are going to build up their own streaming services. Right.
1: <laughs> they're going to we'll, build we'll see, up things like this. The famous quote is,
0: "We need to become yeah, HBO, uh, HBO before faster. HBO can become yeah. us." Right, and it turns out, um, hmm. guess nah. what? HBO uh, kind of has become them in some ways. Disney <laughs> Plus has become them in some ways. And so, well, it was it was an yeah.
2: erroneous goal because yes. it didn't matter yeah. who did it first. They mm-hmm. both a- arrived in the same place exactly. eventually. What well, It kind of yeah,
1: yeah. did right because, like, the whole if you guys will remember, and I I've <laughs> talked to people who don't even remember, like the when streaming video started right the the whole Netflix streaming video thing was was a game changer When we were all just getting DVDs and Blu-rays uh not not even Blu-rays at that point I think but in the mail we were getting these things and the fact that you could just play it in your web browser a lot of people thought like who the hell would want this you know and uh turns out that that was the thing we all needed but yeah it is uh it is kind of amazing how far we've come with this
3: it also looked bad. At first. It looked bad. Yeah. I, was, I was really dismissive of it. I started trying to start like watching like one film, and like, I, well, okay, this is this is not changing my life. This this this, this won't last. Yeah, this who, wants yeah. Who, who wants to watch a movie? Yeah, who wants to watch a movie over the internet? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, obviously, the uh, the sort of promise of of streaming has resulted in a lot of competitors, and Netflix basically announced a multi pronged strategy. To combating this this drop, right? They they basically it seems like they've basically given up Mm -hmm. on uh, growing their audience. They're basically they're going to try to extract more value from the existing audience, and or you know try to reach audiences at a lower tier. So there's a couple of big announcements. Number one, they estimate that 100 million people around the world, including 30 million people in U.S. and Canada. Are basically borrowing other people's passwords, like they're mm-hmm. quote unquote stealing Netflix. Right? It's they're, not yeah, our
2: yeah. fault. Our business is going <laughs> bad. Motherfuckers be stealing from us.
0: Yeah. So they're obviously gonna gonna crack down on that. Um, and I think that's gonna be pretty tricky to crack down on it. You know, because mm-hmm. if they if it was so easy to crack down on, they they probably would have done it already. It,
1: it was, uh, it's, it's probably one of those things. So I wrote up. They are doing some tests in like Latin America. Yes, that's uh, right. where. You can uh, you can take a sub account. And they were making it easier to turn that into a full fledged account. Right. So that. So it's that like t- if, if my yeah. if
0: Mama and Papa Chen want to yeah. you know use want to free ride off David Chen's account, like maybe they pay like an additional surcharge per month or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Or
1: or they just become their own account too. Like yeah, that is a the thing right. they just built in. Like, I can understand why they didn't like push back on this too much because the the whole thing right now is engagement is everything, right? If if people are just talking about this and yeah. paying attention to us yeah. and trending our shows, then we're being successful. But now it's like oh, that's, that's not working. Yeah, and, well, also when, well, when yeah.
0: things are going well, right, it's easy yeah. to ignore these things. It's like, hey, we're growing massively every quarter. Like, We don't need to deal with this pesky thing like password sharing right now. Well, but it's and, also
2: yeah. always a good idea to get into a hostile relationship with your customers. <laughs> with your customer, right, so yeah.
0: they I mean, want to kick the yeah. can
1: down the road as much as
0: possible. As and every media did. company does. Like, yeah, you're, not, exactly. you're
1: not a media giant unless you're like, actively trying to stop <laughs> people from pirating your content somehow. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. But you wouldn't they... steal a car. Yeah, you wouldn't steal a Netflix
0: password, would you? Anyway, uh, they kicked the can down the road as far as they could, and the road has come to an end, is basically mm-hmm. what's happened. so But y- you know what?
1: Yeah. It's streaming. It- it- this is the reckoning time for streaming, and you know what it all started, guys? Fucking Quibby.
2: It all, <laughs> it's always Quibby. Mm-hmm, CNN mm-hmm. Plus
1: lasted, what,
0: a week?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quibi. Three, we- three is, weeks,
0: or I think roughly, bad. roughly a fifth of a Quibi, basically. Fifth um, Quibi, a
2: Quibi was the, the Quibnary in the coal mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Nicely done, Jeff. Turns out uh, like,
1: uh, so Netflix like slowly got a lot of that funding, you know, to, to produce original content do stuff. Quibi just got it all at once and it all fell apart. So yeah, it was the canary in the coal mine there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing
0: that they're doing is uh, potentially launching an an ad supported tier. Now, a lot of people have been freaking out uh, because they're like, I don't want to add to my Netflix. And I don't think if you're paying, you know, I'm paying, mm-hmm. I think, what, $20 a month right now? I don't think you're going to get ads. Yeah. But the idea, like a $5 is, thing. Right, the idea yeah. is that they're going to lower the price for people who are willing to accept ads.
2: Yeah. This is the also, Huluification of Netflix. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly.
1: They could probably end up making more money from that, too, because like I've talked to folks at like Roku and other places where people just throw out, like, you know, they show free movies. Free movies is a big business because people love those ads. The data you collect from people watching those things—it's—it's um, it's all very juicy and profitable. Yeah,
0: I, I agree, Davindra, that there are some positive effects, but there are also some real downsides to this approach. Oh, yeah. First of all, it's massively difficult to build an ads business. Um, mm-hmm, You—they mm-hmm. have zero, like, as far as I know, zero people working at Netflix have sold an ad on behalf of Netflix before. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, they're going to have to build up that whole competency. The—the the tech. Is not designed for ads right now. They need to like figure out a way to integrate it. The mm-hmm. content is not designed yeah. for ads right now. Like the you, first time that yeah.
2: Red Notice is interrupted by ads, <laughs> people it's are going to riot. Be... Probably yeah. a lot of shows.
1: Yeah. A lot of shows still have the ad breaks, which are, are kind of funny to
0: see. It's true. It's true. Some yeah. some
1: shows have them, but a lot of them don't.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then also like it's kind of making the product worse. You know, like Netflix mm-hmm. has always stood for a premium ad-free experience. And now they're going to kind of dilute that brand a little bit. It it might be worth it uh, for the Mm -hmm. additional subscribers they'll get, uh, but it's going to kind of, they've been saying for years, no ads. And now they feel like it feels like, no, they have to, they're they're not doing it because they want to, they're doing it because they have to.
1: They, somebody looked up and uh, turned on a TV and (laughs) like scrolled through some channels, you know, and just saw Mm -hmm. what was going on there. And they're like, huh, Mm -hmm. amazing.
0: Well, you, you point out another thing, Devindro about the data. When people pay for ads, they want to see data, they uh-huh. want to see streams and uh, impressions and things like that, which is stuff that Netflix usually does not give out. So yeah. it's all it's all curious, like how that's all mm. going to work itself out. But I, yeah, not, not, not hard. go ahead, Keith. It's yeah.
3: hard for I think it's going to be hard for users too to accept a lesser product. Like I watched mm-hmm. a movie on Tub- Tubi today and mm-hmm. it was interrupted at like strange places by ads. Like, well, how much did I pay for this, right? You know, but right. if I if I'm like already paying for a service. In a service that used to be better, I don't know. I, I, I suspect that's not going to go over very well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the question is, can they unlock a group of people that wants to watch Red Notice and Bird Box, but in Love Is Blind, but isn't willing to pay the extra five dollars to get ad free experience? That, that's that is the target they're going for. It's people who want to watch that programming. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they just can't stomach the high price, and maybe they're willing to pay for a little bit lower to watch the same you know the same stuff with ads. I don't know if that audience is
1: that big, but maybe well, they're we'll gonna see. unlock some. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Listen, what what about that Showtime technology we were talking about? Like ma- make people watch <laughs> the ads, build up some Netflix credits, and then you can unlock you know, mm. those for your Bridgertons or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. One thing worth mentioning here too is their animation business is dead like mm. crumble like people fired uh the like it seems like the entire division is just gone so that's bad yeah it's i yep. think that's going to be a really like they had some of the best animated shows i think around but also this was a company that spent way too much money on things like they yes. they were well the reports were like 30 million dollars per episode for stranger things mm. to shoot to shoot around georgia I get, you know, I I understand special effects costs a lot, but Stranger Things uh, should not cost that much money for a single episode. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Well, the other
0: thing, you know, they said they would do is they're going to focus more on the quality, guys. They're not going to produce. I I think they're releasing 500 TV shows and films in 2022. Uh It's probably going to go down next year and they're going to focus on the quality guys, which, by the way, is like so simple. You just press the quality button. Like yeah. just press up on the quality meter and it's going to yeah. go higher. Right. Like,
2: yeah, well that's, that's, you know, it's been nice to be able to have the quality meter sort of just in the middle there, yeah, you know, exactly. just kind of on cruise control. It's and been then, like
0: a, it's been a luxury to just like leave it yeah. there in the middle. But like once they start hitting up on the quality button, like yeah, it's yeah. going to be just a, a trivial matter to up the quality. You know, it's that so. uh,
2: Homer Simpson style of <laughs> governing where, or uh, management where you, are you guys working hard? Yes, sir. Can you work harder? <laughs> yes type faster type faster. yeah uh
1: i so, mean listen let's not count out netflix uh let's not forget uh it's been over a decade since quickster was announced and yeah, i, I remember where i was right. when i saw that video of reed hastings and uh the other dude like in outside the netflix parking lot yeah being like uh yeah we, we need another business for discs and streaming they were oh, coming yeah. from that
0: yeah that no, was that's very funny, funny. So that was what, a it's a good it's a good call out that we shouldn't count netflix out they're still extremely valuable they're still the most popular streaming service um they still have a lot of assets but it's it,
1: gonna look it, very it, different
0: i, I will yeah. say that hearing those ideas that i just said which uh-huh. were serious ideas that were brought up during this investor call it does feel like they have run out of ideas like it does feel like that's well, the best they got in terms of <laughs> I, making things better in the future. And it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they are doing these things because they have to, not because they think this is the future of like streaming and, and viewing things. It's like they're, they their backs up are against uh, backs up, uh, up against the wall. And it's like, this is what they have to do to survive. Mm-hmm.
2: I um, am experiencing so, zero schadenfreude mm-hmm, though. I, mm-hmm. I, I do not want the Netflix that spends $30 million on an episode to, to stop. Like I, it makes dumb business sense, but it makes for endless Awesome content, it seems, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: I I don't know. Have you watched Stranger Things lately, Jeff?
2: No, I don't watch that show. It's (laughs) too expensive.
1: Too expensive. (laughs)
0: expensive. Let's take a quick break. We have a little bit more to say about this, but we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back and more to say about the Netflix situation.
1: We'd like to take a moment to thank the world of microdosing, specifically microdose gummies. Now you've probably heard about microdosing as a trend, uh, you know that people have been doing to reduce anxiety or to help with sleep or pain or just creative boosting, and uh, you know you can find all sorts of information about it on the internet. What I love about microdose gummies is that they're just small entry level doses of THC and CBD that can help you feel, you know, pretty good. I've been taking CBD oils and doing all sorts of things, you know, to help reduce anxiety uh, over the last few years. Uh, pick your reason, really. And I think Microdose Gummies is one of the best tasting and easiest things to use as well. It doesn't give you that oily film that, uh, you know, other CBD solutions have. So it is just like a great convenient tool that I love to have. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use code FILMCAST to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com and code FILMCAST.
0: All right, so I agree Jeff in the sense that uh with with what you said about like it was it was a great time. It was a, what a fun ride it was when they were just spitting out money left and right making every single kind of thing. Uh, And that was good for us too. Good for the podcast. We had more material to cover. And so um, I I will miss those days. I will miss those days. Um, But also they were basically like untethered from financial reality. Yeah. What was happening, right? And like they, Wall Street just kept giving them uh, more slack, more leeway because they're like, Netflix is going to get to a billion subscribers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, now they're like, wait, maybe they've hit the wall of subscribers, or the billion subscribers is not going to come as fast as we thought it was. Maybe it's going to take, you know, ten years instead of three. Mm-hmm. And Wall Street's punishing them for them now, and uh, punishing them for it now. And it's like, um, it, it's I I I'm scared for the industry because it's like, if they dramatically cut down production, it's going to have like other knock on effects. Like other streamers will cut down production. It will have impact on like below the line people who are like your cinematographers, your key grips, your sound people, your caterers working in Hollywood, like I think it has vast implications for the industry. Um, And Mm -hmm, they're not, mm -hmm. they're not good. But also it's like, this is what happens when you run a business that like is Mm -hmm. just given a lot of slack from wall street. This is
1: Silicon Valley, man. Like it's it's not just a business. It is, it is a Silicon Valley like mentality. You look at Theranos that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, like they had nothing. But they still got a ton of money. At least Netflix has something, but yeah. uh, it, it's still unsustainable in its yeah, current form. Yeah. Keith Phipps, uh, any, what was your reaction upon reading this news
0: and and the, the plummeting stock? They lost a, a third of their value and uh, morale is, has cratered at the company as far as I can tell. Um, what, what's your reaction to all this?
3: So it's felt like something's had to change in streaming for a long time. Mm-hmm. And... I was. am not surprised that Netflix would be the place where that change might start. I was shocked that it was so dramatic. And, yeah, it's you know, so fast. It's, well, yeah, it's so fast.
0: It's yeah, uh, it's so fast. Yeah,
3: you know, I, I received like emails. I think it was from Hollywood Reporter, but like one was like Netflix. You know, loses. Uh, so like Netflix loses twenty uh, thousand subscribers. Like well, that doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> like oh wait, correction, it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> actually a lot more. Uh, but you know, I don't. I don't. I've. I've wondered what's going to happen just across the board it's like you know i subscribe to everything because i'm a dummy and i can write it off my taxes (laughs) Um, but you know who has the you know who has the money and just the attention to to flip between peacock and paramount plus and all these you know all Mm -hmm, these different mm -hmm. ones you know i just i just don't know you know and and i'm not the first to point this out but at some point it just becomes Cable under another name where you're just paying, you know, paying for a bunch of things instead of a bundle. And, yeah. you know, we throw ads into the mix, you know, who knows? I mean, uh, it, it really is not that, that much different. I, I think, you know, uh, give, give me like, you know, like I said, Tubi, it's free. <laughs> but <laughs> they got a lot of stuff on there. <laughs> I mean, obviously, no, you know, Tubi is great for what it is, but you're not going to get a lot of, you know, they do some original programming now, but I mean, you're not going to get the ambitious slate that netflix was putting out or any any other uh service using original content but i don't know i don't i don't know what happens next it's a little it's mm-hmm. a little scary
1: yeah isn't, isn't this i mean we're, we're going on for this for a while but isn't this basically the story of hollywood though like just very <laughs> very rich people throwing way too much money at these things at these pictures you know and uh it, it, for it, that's how it's been since the yeah. beginning like since hollywood has built up so this is the latest form of that I think that one
0: thing you pointed out, Devendra, was like it, that this was basically unsustainable because the supply at this point has far outstripped demand. Right? right? Like, uh, Drew McQueenie writes a newsletter called Formerly Dangerous. Uh, he's been a guest on this podcast before, and he's in his latest edition of his newsletter. He basically said, "Hey, uh, I'm watching uh, 15 shows right now." You know, I'm watching 15 shows, and there's another 15 that I'm going to get to after I finish these 15 shows. And Drew McQueenie, basically, he can barely keep up with the shows, and this is all he does. He watches TVs and shows and movies for a living. That's all he does. So if your job is to watch TV and you cannot keep up with it, uh, what is coming out, then maybe there is more supply than there is demand. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're producing it at an unsustainable rate and – uh, I think we are we are finally seeing that check come due, and yeah. um, there's going to be a market correction. And I I, I agree with you, Keith. It's going to be a little bit scary for a little bit. So there's,
3: there's also this. I mean, the number of reels, maybe it's the percentage is no lower than it was at the height of, say, network television. But it feels like the number of really remarkable things that you have to see Mm -hmm. has dropped as well. Although maybe that's Mm -hmm. just sort of the overwhelming amount of content that's out there. Like I haven't watched any of like sort of the startup scam shows uh, mm-hmm. They all they all look pretty good to me, but you know, wh- where do you start? Which which eight episodes do you watch first? It, it is yeah. you know, I, I I focus more on film than television. I do write about television, and certainly just as someone who enjoys entertainment, watches a fair amount of television. I can't keep up. And it's hard to tell. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it
1: is like three of the same show came out at the exact same time. It is wild that that happened. Keith, uh, the knows one is the one you want to
3: watch. That's that's what I hear. All <laughs> the other ones look yeah. good too.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, bad time for Netflix, uh, and also I, I, I should point out many other companies: Warner Media, Disney Plus, like they, or Disney, I should say, they all started streaming services because Netflix was doing so well on Wall Street. Right now, right. Netflix not doing as well in Wall Street, and I think we're going to see some like residual cascading impacts on those other streaming services. I mean, we've as we've well.
1: kind of already seen that with the whole Discovery thing too. So it yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. Every, it's not as easy as Netflix made it seem early on, you know.
0: It is a head-spinning amount of change right now is happening yeah. in Hollywood. And, and of course, this will, it, this will take years to play out. But, yeah, a, a lot has changed. A lot of assumptions are being challenged right now. And um, we'll see. We'll, we'll be covering it as long as we can on the Filmcast, and as long as they keep making stuff, which, you know, got to be at least another six months. Right, guys? Got to <laughs> be at mm-hmm. least another six I months. Hope so. so. so yeah. All right, folks. Speaking of stuff we've been watching, let's get to it. What have we been watching? I want to talk about a few things I want to mention. Uh, First of all, Better Call Saul season six, baby. This show is back on AMC. It's actually like we spend three hours a night recording on Monday nights. Uh, We record the podcast and the after darks at patreoncom slash film podcast. Literally the thing I do right after that, head on over to watch Better Call Saul season six on AMC Um, plus. I love the show. The first two episodes have aired. It's airing every week now. Um, the the first two episodes were incredible. Uh, this is my favorite show on TV right now, and everyone should go watch it. It's it's tough to recommend just because you got to get through a bunch of episodes that are okay to get to what is truly superlative excellence.
1: It is one of those, yeah. yeah. It's like a, yeah. it's like a novel. It builds.
2: Up. I'm uh, halfway through season two, Dave.
1: Nice. I, <laughs> Good
2: I mean, job.
0: it's I, I don't think it's ever bad, but it, it, it is, is not bad.
2: I I yeah. really hate that you compared it to Ozark because now that's all I do I can't not Mm -hmm. be like screw Dave uh but um (laughs) well that that
0: was you before I said the Ozark thing too
2: so Eh, fair enough fair enough that's just my running commentary all the time yeah Um, well
0: I'm, I'm glad you're slowly catching up I hope you catch up in time for the second half of season six which is airing beginning July so you have plenty of time to catch up
2: moving moving
0: um, but that's very I'm exciting. Kidding. That's very exciting, and yeah, it's never been bad, but there has been times when it's not been great. Yeah. Um and uh, I would say like some patches in seasons one through three are like not mm-hmm. great when they're still trying to figure out what the show is exactly. Yeah, um, but it gets better, and uh, season six is the show is firing on all cylinders. Uh, I am very excited about Better Call Saul season six. So, are you gonna, you gonna catch up with this? What do you think?
1: I'm gonna try to catch up. Yeah. Uh, this is, as I've explained, is one of those shows where. My wife and I will catch up to a point, and then we will just drop off yeah, for whatever reason yeah. because there's just way too much. And then it's like, so where the hell were we? Like, <laughs> yeah, was I th- watching it on AMC? Who was dead? What's <laughs> happening? It's not an easy show to like pick back up a little while later.
3: Keith Phipps, are you gonna? Um, y- you watching any Better Call Saul? I love the show. I've not watched any of season six yet, but that's that's imminent. Um, I, I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to be behind.
0: I will say this: I watched seasons one through five on Netflix. And it looks amazing. And then I, you, I, you switch over to the AMC Plus app for season six, Not so and amazing. it looks like yeah. crap. Oh it's no! Like, well, yeah, wow. it's, it's, such like, a, it's
3: such a good-looking cinematic show, too. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, they, you know, whatever four K compression they have on Netflix is actually really awesome.
3: And yet and Seinfeld then, looks, is unwatchable on Netflix. Have you, have you guys <laughs> tried to watch Seinfeld on Netflix? Because
0: it's yeah. like a it's like a cropped in widescreen yeah. version, right? I think. Right, right. Yeah. If
3: you have a you know a television that's bigger than say ten inches, <laughs> it's going to look terrible. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's why I stick with my Seinfeld DVD box set, Keith. Mm, there you go. Whenever I want to watch any Seinfeld. So anyway, Better Call Saul season six. It's on AMC. I'm watching it via the AMC Plus app uh, every Monday night. It It Becomes available, I'd strongly recommend folks catch up uh the first seven episodes are airing this month, okay, i had a chance to go to the Seattle International Film Festival. um I saw one film because I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm still not ready to go into like a crowded theater on a regular basis yet you know yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not I saying i won't will never do it, but you know it's just not something I want to do very often yet. It has to be
1: uh the Batman or something to get <laughs> us there
0: yeah, yeah, um, but my friend and colleague Megan Griffiths had a movie uh, that debuted at the Seattle International Film Festival. It was produced by the Duplass Brothers, and it's called "I'll Show You Mine." And it's basically a, a two-hander that takes place almost entirely in one location, uh, and it's people just talking about their lives, hashing things out. Uh, and I really liked it. I like this movie a lot. I think it's probably going to become. It's probably going to get distribution at some point. Jeff, I actually thought of you when I was watching because it's, it's very play-like, you know. Mm. It's Sounds like, like it's basically jam. just like a series of, you know, I don't know, five to 10 intense conversations, basically, yeah, you know, that I'm take place it. in like in, in around one location.
2: Is it Does it have uh, distribution? Did you say that?
0: I don't think it does yet, but I, I would be surprised if it never gets it. I think you'll eventually be able to at least buy it on, on video on demand. Um, but I saw it at the Seattle International Film Festival. I'd recommend it. It's probably going to make some other festivals around the country before it hits video on demand. So uh, the movie is I'll show you mine and I recommend you check it out. Finally, I had a chance to watch Power On, the story of Xbox, which is a six-part documentary that is currently available on YouTube amongst other platforms. Jeff Kanata, you're the most video game-centric uh, you know, centric person on the podcast. Did you uh, see this documentary by any chance?
2: I did. Yeah. Back when it, it premiered a uh, while back, like for the anniversary of Xbox, right? The-
0: yeah. 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 Um, uh, what did you think of it, Jeff?
2: I thought it was pretty fun. Um I didn't think it was um must watch content, but I thought it was pretty uh pretty fun. It was a fun walk down memory lane as somebody who You've
3: You know, lived through a lot of it. Lived
2: right? through it and not yeah. only lived through it, but was actively covering video games for most mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Um there was a lot of uh, wonderful like, oh my god, I'm old moments.
0: I thought it was pretty great and the reason is because uh you have people who used to work at microsoft like going on the record talking about a lot of the terrible decisions that were made (laughs) yeah which is just really bold for a company to do that you know like you don't see necessarily like apple people going on the record and saying like when we made the iphone it was terrible actually you do but it's not it's not part of a company sanctioned piece of product you know what i'm saying like they usually leave apple and they they say stuff like that they don't like there's no apple making an official thing that is part of that record
2: yeah it was sort of warts and, and all the story right, of Xbox. exactly
0: yeah. so i just think it's a really fascinating piece of work because it's rare to see a company of microsoft's size and stature making a piece of media that acknowledges a lot of the mistakes they made um and it's just fascinating whenever something like that happens and uh, and to watch it happen, so mm-hmm. just wanted to give a shout out to Power on the story of Xbox. I, I don't think it's just kind of a corporate fluff piece. I think there is like uh, mm-hmm. a, a lot of depth there. And um, if it's if the story of Xbox is not something you're familiar with, I actually think it's a pretty good primer, right, Jeff? Like if you if you have no familiarity with like the history of the console, um, I think it's, it's a, a great promo, way to catch yeah. it. So yes. yeah. All right. Well, that's Power on the story of Xbox is on YouTube. It's uh, those are some things I've been watching this week. Keith Phipps hit us with a couple things you've been watching.
3: I've been flying to various places for the first time in a while, so and and I'm working on a, a Bruce Willis thing for for Vulture, so catching up with a few Bruce Willis films I had not seen on planes, and uh, so, you know some some disappointing, uh, but the one I really enjoyed uh, not. Hugely shocked that I enjoyed it. I just never gotten around to it. Robert Benton's 1994 film *Nobody's Fool*, which is an adaptation of a uh, great novel uh, by uh, Richard Russo, uh, a reliably uh, a good novelist, uh, which which Paul Newman plays uh, in in a very you know a kind of older. Uh, Wiley character who's made a lot of mistakes in his life in, in a typical Russo setting of, of a run-down uh, Rust Belt, New England town. Uh, I won't go, get into the whole plot. I mean, Newman, of course, is great. Uh, Bruce, Bruce Willis has a really great supporting role as his sometime boss, sometimes friend, sometime enemy, who's kind of, in some ways, it's a neat twist on the Bruce Willis is the coolest guy in the, in, 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 in the bar at closing time persona that, that of his early work, especially where you kind of see how that same character can be kind of a, kind of a loser. Uh, but uh, it's a really nice performance in a fun movie that's kind of filled with nice touches like that. Uh, the other thing I saw, so that was from the past. Here's a little preview of, of the future. I was at the Wisconsin Film Festival and I got a look at this film called Mad God. Has, has anyone heard of this? I'm guessing you have i haven't heard.
0: you haven't okay no. so yeah i've heard this is like the phil Tippett. yeah uh, movie right
3: right exactly mm. phil Tippett, the uh, special effects um you know wizard i guess is the technical term uh who is still very active has kind of straddles the world of of practical and digital effects but he really yeah. kind of got into the industry as as a stop-motion master for the work he did in films like uh Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Robocop. He won an Oscar yes. for Dragon Slayer, I believe. So uh, he,
0: he had the role dinosaur supervisor. Right. On Jurassic Park One. Um, so where man he, has seen it all.
3: Where, where he famously said, I believe when he first saw the CGI, is like, I think you just put me out of business or something along those lines. Mm-hmm, well, around mm-hmm. the same time, he was working on this passion project called Mad God, and he kind of like, you know, worked on it, put it aside years later was convinced to finish it. And he brought in sort of, you know um, a crew of people that were volunteered to help him finish this passion project. And it is something it's going to be, I believe shutter picked it up. I think they're, they're putting it in theaters for a little bit in June and then it'll be on the service. Try to see it in the theaters. If you can, Hmm. it is. And well, brace yourself. It is sort of like (laughs) if, if if you kind of like if, if Bosch and Ray Harryhausen, made a racer head this will be the film it's like oh, this, this yeah. long wow. stop motion trip through hell uh and i'm not exaggerating it basically it is a trip through hell this
1: like, uh, this definitely looks like a shutter movie like just judging from the trailer here so. yeah it
3: is, that's it's, great there's very little of there's a narrative to it but the narrative's not really the point it's basically a long metaphorical a stop motion fantasia um, not for all tastes, but if, if those who dig it are really going to dig it. It, it, it is a future Midnight movie classic or, or whatever the equivalent that is these days. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for other people to see it and possibly get mad at me for recommending it because it is it's fairly intense.
0: <laughs> awesome. Um, well, those movies uh, are Nobody's Fool, uh, the Paul Newman version, and then uh, the new Phil Tippett movie, Mad God, which will hopefully be available uh, for streaming at some point in the near future. That's what Keith Phipps has been watching this week.
2: Just real quick. I want to just add my two cents because, uh, when I was a kid about, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old, I wanted to be Phil Tippett. Oh yeah. Like Mm. that's what I thought I wanted to do with my life. Like I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I watched the behind the scenes of, uh, empire strikes back and something, you know, him doing the, the ad at sequence Mm -hmm. and I was like, I, I, that's, that's the best job in the entire world. It's just a bunch of guys in t-shirts and shorts playing with, uh, tiny models and making magical things. I, I, I just, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So I'm I'm interested to see this movie, although I, I Mm -hmm. suspect it's going to be a little darker than I'm ready for.
1: (laughs) This looks horrific judging from the trailer. So yeah,
0: (laughs) potentially a feature after dark, but yeah, that's Uh mad God. And, uh, that's what Keith Phipps is watching this week it's time to thank one of our sponsors, Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you as the customer. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family. And at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with your, your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. Folks, I've used Mint Mobile. I think the service is great and it's super Convenient. It's obviously also very affordable. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash filmcast. That's mintmobile.com slash filmcast. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash and then the word filmcast.
1: All right, Devon, Your Hardware, what you what are you watching? I've been checking out Outer Range which is the new Amazon Prime Video show, which... uh, With Josh Brolin, right? Josh Brolin! Immigrant poots! What if there was a hole? That is this show. Josh Brolin. (laughs) What if there
2: was a hole? What if there was a hole? Um,
1: (laughs) That is the show. Uh, Josh Brolin is a rancher in Wyoming. He finds on his uh, farmland, a hole. What is the mystery of the hole? What does it mean? Um, this show is really cool, actually. I'm really digging it. Um, I've been trying to get into Yellowstone, so I haven't seen enough to like really talk about that yet, but it has that vibe of uh, you know, uh modern Western ranch uh modern western stories talking about families and dynasties. He's kind of a struggling farmer. Um, and y- you know, he finds this thing which basically breaks the fabric of reality. So it starts out as, like, a modern Western, but the hook of the show is that it's sort of, like, Lost or, like, so many of the other, like, Lost-type shows where there is this core mystery happening. Um, he starts to wonder about the, you know, nature of reality. There's a bit of, like, True Detective in there, too. Um, it is trippy. It is, like, sci-fi and, like, high-minded at times. But I think what's really interesting is that it doesn't, like, lean into that too much because that is just, like, the... uh You know, the icing on the cake and the actual story is Josh Brolin's family uh, is dealing with uh, an unruly neighbor, you know, a richer neighboring family who wants to buy some of their land and just like simple domestic disputes and stuff like that. And I find it really, really compelling. Um, I, I found the show just really, really intriguing because it is—it does a good job of straddling both of those things. The sort of like high-minded mystery. Um, there's a—it starts off with Josh Brolin like talking about the story of Kronos, the uh, the Greek god, and it is beautifully shot. It's re- tremendously acted. I think he's doing some of the best work of his career in the show that I hope people will watch. But when we talk about like. There's just too much streaming stuff out there, you know, Kerry Fukunaga made a whole a whole ass Netflix show that nobody has seen. I feel it's like me and like five other people who I told to watch that show, you know and that is maniac on Netflix. um I was gonna say no time dies on Netflix uh, anyway. yeah, yeah um of range is one of those shows where I feel like uh, I know Amazon's kind of pushing this more than some of their other shows, but it does feel like one of those things that get that me get lost uh, in the streaming you know. In, in in just like the pile of streaming we have to deal with right now and maybe a lot of people will just like look at it as like a, a attempt to do Yellowstone again um, like and I know this is not for the Yellowstone audience my dad who's a big Yellowstone fan a big Costner fan uh, watched the first episode of this and was like I have no idea what's happening because it, a lot of it is Josh Brolin like talking about existence and uh, and high-minded things it, it, it's it hits a really great genre itch for me uh, while also being like a really grounded Western. So I'm really digging it. I'm um, a couple hep- episodes ahead from what's aired so far. And I'm happy to say like, it, it, it's going good. I'm going to keep watching it till the end. It's really good. Check out a Range on Amazon Prime. Cool. Cool. Uh, what else have you been watching, Divindra? I saw the first episode of Barry season three. Barry's yeah, back, baby. guys.
0: Yeah. We all, we all watched it, right? Uh, Jeff... Davindra and I watched it. Keith, you caught up with Barry? What do you
1: think?
3: Yeah, I, I've seen the, uh, the first episode of the season three. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. Uh, the return yeah. of Noho Hank.
1: Come yes.
2: on. So good. The,
0: the, I missed him.
1: Yeah. The uh,
0: reviews for this season have been rapturous, I rapturous, think is the term yeah. that I, I would use. Uh, which is a little frustrating just because <laughs> each episode is only 30 minutes long, so I feel like it's We've so, seen like a sliver of the season. It's one of those
1: shows where it's like, and then they release weekly, right? So you're not you're not yeah, just binging it. Ugh, it's like yeah. it, it it does get me back to the days of when like um yeah yeah just broadcast TV when one of your favorite shows would air and you would just like savor every minute of it. And this is one of those shows where it's like they don't waste any time. Like every scene means something. Every line of dialogue is so rich. And uh, this first episode, which was directed by Bill Hader, I think is, is just really well done. Like even up until the ending, which I won't reveal, like it, it this show just does such a great job of straddling comedy and like tense, uh, you know, tense thriller moments. Too. The, and the macabre, the yeah. macabre, you know, yeah.
0: like it's very dark and upsetting, but also um, funny,
1: but also yeah. funny. Yeah. In the middle of like a really really tense scene, something yeah. funny happens, and this show just allows for that, and I I just really love it. So yeah. Also, the filmmaking
0: is just really excellent. Like so just when you look mm-hmm. at how each shot is composed, and you know, a significant part of this episode takes place in the desert, and there's these like beautiful compositions of you know mm-hmm. uh, this vast wasteland that Barry and fellow co-stars like appear against, and really get a sense of you know that's the kind of deliberate decision making that the the filmmakers make in in these show and bill hader directed a bunch of episodes in season 3 mm-hmm. he has said i think he wants to direct every episode in season 4 should that come to oh, pass man. so like i i would love
1: to know. see that uh we know he's a big film nerd and he's just like really showing it off here i yeah, think totally
2: yeah this show is is better than it has any right to be you know it's <laughs> it's like it, it really you, you think, oh, Bill Hader kind of goofy assassin uh, show yeah. about him being an actor at the same time as an assassin, but this what? is yeah. It, it, but it's it's like exquisite filmmaking, you know. It's mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. from season one on, and it has only mm-hmm. gotten better. That I think the best thing about where season three starts is that the stakes are so high, so high right at the beginning, yeah. yeah. And so it just feels like wow, we are leaping in on 11 already. Um, I can't wait to see where the rest of the season goes. I have
3: no idea where they go after that final scene of this first yeah. episode. Yeah. And, and I'm excited to find out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I agree. And I think one of the things that uh, one of the creators of the show, Alec Berg, has has said in interviews is uh, that one of the most challenging things is how do you keep this character alive? Right. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> After all the things that he's doing in the show, like, He seems constantly on the uh, precipice of death. And every season, it feels like that high wire act gets more and more difficult. Mm -hmm, (laughs) You know, like mm -hmm, every season, it feels like it gets more and more tense and more and more sort of unlikely that he's going to survive. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But um, I'm excited. Season three, episode one was great. Uh, It's on HBO Max. Barry, it's what Devinder Harder has been watching. Jeff Kanata, anything you've been watching you want to mention?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been mention, mentioning several things. I'm I'm you know powering through um, um, better call Saul, a better call Saul, and uh, and and starting Barry and and catching up on some other stuff that I'll mention in subsequent weeks when I have more episodes under my belt. But I did want to mention a stand up comedy special that I checked out that really blew me away. Uh, this is Ronnie Chang's Speakeasy, which is a relatively new. I think it's, it came out a few weeks ago. Uh, Ronnie Chang is a uh, a comedian that you may recognize from The Daily Show. Um, he is not someone who I'll be honest, whose stand-up I have ever watched before. Uh, I think this is his second hour-long special, but I had not seen his first, and I had not really seen his stand-up. I had been very familiar with him from The Daily Show and some other appearances he's done, some movies and stuff here or there, but I wasn't familiar with his brand of stand-up. Um, although, you know, in daily show spots, he would do stuff that's basically you know monologuing etc but man this this hour is really sharp and i've never quite seen anybody take this particular tact on stage which is fully insulting the audience fully like (laughs) aggressively Mm -hmm. uh at odds with the audience but not in a like insult comic-y like i'm gonna make fun of you audience but like attacking the audience for their stupidity uh i mean it, it, this is a fully uh post covid comedy special or you know if, as as post as we can be I, in this point but sort of you know uh in, in the wake of covid maybe is a better way to phrase it um and he he is angry and it, i mean it's a very funny special uh but it is it, it it pulls no punches and it just goes at people uh it, it uh i was really impressed i just thought it was it showed a lot of kind of courage and um just uh giving no fucks you know he he comes out oh, guns blazing uh and it, it is so uh, the insights are really intense and um uh, it's very smart, special, and a, and a very uh, bold special, and very funny. I would really recommend folks uh, who are fans of stand-up comedy to check out Ronnie Chang's Speakeasy.
0: All right, that's Ronnie Chang Speakeasy. It's on Netflix right now. That's what Jeff Kanada has been watching. Folks, let's get to some weekly plugs. <laughs> Weekly plugs, a part of the show where we plug something else that we have been making. Uh, I used to host a TV recap podcast called The Ones Who Knock, where we covered Breaking Bad and then for a very brief time, Better Call Saul. Uh, I, I, I'll be honest, I fell out of love with that show, Better Call Saul. I started, you know, I was like, eh, I'm not loving this. And I stopped doing the recap podcast. But then I found yeah, it again. That's what
1: happens yeah. with Better Call
2: Saul. I know, yeah. but then yeah. This I, then is I, a completely different narrative than you've sold me for the last... Three months, Dave.
0: <laughs> then I found it again, and I'm like, this show is incredible, you know? And I've really gotten back into it. And so uh, on my personal Patreon page at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, uh, I'm going to be posting, uh, I- I'm not going to say a recap of every episode, but a bunch of them, a bunch of them. Uh, and so, yeah, if you want to hear me talk about Better Call Saul, i recap it. Uh, patreon.com slash Dave Chen. And uh, that's where you can find uh, Better Call Saul recaps.
2: I'm just I'm, I'm a little reeling here because <laughs> how dismissive you were of Ozark mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. and claiming that this was the steak to that show's hamburger and yet well, well you got to get past the first three seasons yeah yeah I mean There's once you get the three season, seasons of Ozark yeah, the, first, the first half of the first season
0: all, you know? I just Ozark is bad okay I'm sorry anyway um So yes! not bad yes
2: it is so not bad and Davinder you've watched like four episodes of Ozark. <laughs>
0: I watched a bunch of seasons. That said, that up. said, yeah. I am going to watch every single episode in the final season, which is yeah, going to debut will. in the next week.
2: Dude, so. that, yeah. dude, that's the first half of the last season of Ozark is so good.
0: Absolutely terrible. Anyway, Jeff. <laughs> Actually, no, let me go to Keith. Keith, give us your weekly plugs.
3: Uh, well, I've got my book, Age of Cage, uh, which is available wherever books are sold, your local bookstore, which is obviously where you should buy it, but also available through your online retailers. On Amazon, it's been called Entertaining and Informative by one reviewer and, and Missing Juicy Details by another. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I think- You have to read it to find out what's missing. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. All the juicy details that are, are, are cut from the book. Um but before we move
0: on from this topic, I am cur- and you write about this in the book, but I am curious, like, it, it, maybe you can talk us through this, right? Uh, you, you wanted to write a book about Nicolas Cage's career. And then right around the time when you were, I think, pitching it or writing it, you found out that he was going to make a movie summarizing his entire career, basically. And what was your reaction to that, given that you were literally writing a book about him?
3: um, Kind of. What the hell? <laughs> I kind of had to, you know, close my laptop and walk around for a little bit. Um, but you know, it was
0: That's what I have to do after every film
3: cut for recording.
2: What, what's I it's understand. that? It's that meme of the guy who was like, "I've been working on this for months," and then he <laughs> just, just tweeted, just it, tweeted, out. It, it, tweeted out. it out. Yeah. Tweeted yeah.
3: it out. Tweeted it out. No, it was it was fine. I, I was it was it kind of hung a, hung over the whole project in a way because I, I, it was announced as I was just kind of starting. Like it was a sold book, and and I would just. Starting running, well, this should be interesting. And then there at one point, there was like, hey, this is supposed to come out in March 2021. You think we can have the book done by then to have it out? I'm like, no. <laughs> but and then it, it got, you know, it got pushed. My book was supposed to come out in, in November, and then it got pushed because of COVID production delays. And I was mad for like half a second. And then I realized, oh, wait, it's going to come out. Around the same time as as unbearable weight, which could be a good thing. And then then I was thinking, well, what if the movie's bad? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna tip my hand. I, I think I think there's really fun movies, and, and, and I think it kind of touches on some of the same points as the book in in a way that that makes sense. But uh, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's been odd, and it was odd to finally watch it. This movie I've been thinking about uh, for probably longer than, except for any, than anyone else except for people actually involved in making the movie. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, well, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the film itself. But uh, the book is Age of Cage. Uh, it's a, a summation of four decades of uh, Nicolas Cage's career, and you should check it out. Um, Keith, I think you wanted to plug a, a couple of other things too, right?
3: Oh, I could I could go on for a long time. <laughs> you know, I, I write for a lot of places. You can you can find out on on, on Twitter. I'm at k 3000 But but if you if you like my writing in general and you like the writing of scott tobias my my longtime time co-worker at places like the av club and the dissolve and and just and and the next picture show one of the other coasts of that we have a newsletter called the reveal it's the reveal.substack.com where we're pre- i mean you're a subscriber uh we're pretty generous in putting out content uh to use the word everyone hates uh but we have like each do like an essay or a list or something fairly meaty um a week, and then we also do reviews because we are longtime film critics and and who like to review movies. How about that? So, uh, Thursday we put out reviews of what you can see uh, that week, and it's a lot of fun. You know, I love working with Scott, and and we build up a nice little community of, of readers, and it's nice to have a space where you can just do like whatever you want to do. So, that, and that's that's what that is for us.
0: Big fan of everything Keith uh, does. Check out the reveal newsletter on Substack. Check out Age of Cage the book. Uh, in terms of weekly plugs, Davindra doesn't have one this week, other than that he is helping to do that most noblest of tasks, uh, along with his wife, raising the next generation of children who yeah. shall take Ch- over the planet. Changing a lot
1: of poopy diapers. That's what yes. i doing right yeah. now.
0: Well, uh, also the thing I said, you know? Yeah. It's, the same, yeah, yeah. it's
1: kind of it's the same. Two sides of the same coin. This is part. my last week of paternity leave, at least for this half of it. So it is. I, I don't know how we're going to survive next week, guys. Uh, hold <laughs> on. Pray for us. Pray for Mojo. <laughs> all right. All right. And Jeff Kanata, do you have a
0: weekly plug for us?
2: Yeah, I do. Uh, If you are a fan of Limerick's, and I know you are, (laughs) do I have a place for you? Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, Mother's Day is right around the corner. And there is no better way to say, I love you. I care about you. You did that most noblest of things, raised the next generation of what did you say, Dave? Kind and caring. Uh,
0: children couple. to take over the planet, I think. Is yeah, what
2: that, 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 what Dave said. Yeah. But, but imagine that in a, in a poem, a bespoke poem crafted and sculpted to your liking by, I'll just say a master of the art.
0: Wow. Me, geez. me, <laughs> master
2: me. of the art. Wow. Nah, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm barely serviceable. But I'm also available at cameo.com <laughs> slash Jeff Canada. Check out my dozens and dozens of five-star reviews and come away realizing that this is going to be the gift that keeps on giving. Cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T.
0: All right. Those are our weekly plugs. I want to plug a few other things for the podcast. If you want to recommend stuff for us to watch, use the hashtag slash tag on Twitter. Uh, It does help us to shape what makes it onto the show. Uh, Of course, you can always support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can sign up for free episodes and exclusive afterdarks. But we never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them financial hardship. There is a very easy way to support us for free, though. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Leave a star rating for us. We would greatly appreciate it. It does make a big difference. Okay, let's get to our review of the unbearable weight of massive talent.
3: What did he
2: say? He says he loves you, but he went in a different direction. I'm done.
3: I'm quitting acting. Tell the trades
2: it was a tremendous honor to be a part of storytelling
3: and mythmaking.
2: ah oh, fuck man i'm driving through the hills i'm sorry one more time we got another offer it's a million bucks it's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party i would never do that it's the easiest gig ever you play yourself what do we know about this guy anyway is he into something strange it's not like he's gonna want you to suck his dick or fuck his wife or watch you watch him fuck his wife
3: i wouldn't think so Welcome to Mallorca, Mr. Cage. the guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Is Javi going to want me to claim uh... Javi?
0: Nick Cage. That was from the trailer for The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, the newest film uh, by director Tom Gormican. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Uh, in this action-packed comedy, Nicolas Cage plays Nick Cage, channeling his iconic characters as he's caught between a superfan and a CIA agent. End quote. Uh, for this review of Nick Cage's new movie, which has a, a pretty good retrospective on a lot of Nick Cage's other movies, we brought one of the foremost cageologists on the internet, hmm. Keith Phipps. So Keith, uh, you have studied Nick Cage and his career. And let's start with this question. Do you feel like the unbearable weight of massive talent does honor to the full range of Cage's oeuvre?
3: No, I think I think it's good at a particular area of 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 what he does i i think it's i think it's really at its best as you know in capturing a little bit of the character of nick cage obviously isn't nicholas cage uh but i think that it captures a little bit of what it means to be the celebrity nicholas cage and some of the sort of the assumptions. That that dog him some of these sort of personal stories of financial uh, mistakes. I guess is the right word uh, that, that that have uh, that have been part of his career as well. I think he he's it's, he's able to play off against that in a really smart way that is self deprecating without you know ever saying he's not. A really first-rate right actor, which I believe he is, and I think this this film believes that too. Although it has a lot of fun with perceptions of Cage, uh, strange twists and turns uh, his career has taken, and you know some of the um, greatest hits of his career in, in a fun way.
0: Uh, and your overall thoughts on the movie? It sounds like we're very positive, yes?
3: Yeah, there, it's it's uh, quite positive. I mean, it, it is... Uh, you know, there's a, there's a ceiling, I think, here with the film's ambition. Uh, mm-hmm. In some ways, it's kind of adaptation light. Uh, there's moments where I thought they have gone a little further with it and a little deeper into mm-hmm. the rabbit hole of his career. But it's also not just, you know, easy reference points. And there, there's, you know... Guarding Test gets 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 a mention and, and Captain Corelli's Bandolin gets a gets a joke around it too. So there, there's you know, it's 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 not just skimming the surface either. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. feel like you but know there's there's subplots that kind of get cut short. There's elements that are underserved. Uh I do love the relationship between his character and Pedro Pascal's character. I think mm-hmm. even if you remove the meta elements, it's a really fun buddy comedy between those two.
0: Got it. Uh and you know you're, you're mentioning how this is not Nick, Nicolas Cage, on the, like the real-life version of Nicolas Cage on the screen. It's a version of him. Um, he actually gave a great interview to The Hollywood Reporter where he talked about this. I'm sure you've seen it. But uh, one of the big differences he said between Nicolas Cage, the movie version, and Nicolas Cage in real life is the Nicolas Cage of the movie is like very neglectful of his children, like his family, You know, his wife and kid. Um, and then Nicolas Cage said a statement uh, that, that made some news which is that he said that uh, the reason he turned down roles in Lord of the Rings and The Matrix was so he could spend more time with his family, um, which brings to mind, like, wow, can you imagine <laughs> if Nicolas Cage was in Lord of the Rings or The Matrix? I you know, I can't. But he said, I think he said something like, a Nicolas Cage that doesn't care about his kids is not a Nicolas Cage that exists, which yeah. I thought was very very touching. and uh, And I thought it was interesting that, yeah, like, I, the craziest part was that
2: he was going to play Frodo. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: um, I did think I was like, oh man, like people are probably going to watch this and think he doesn't care about his family that much because you know I don't know what Nicolas Cage's family with his family, uh, sorry, relationship with his family was like before this movie. So, uh, but it is the case. Uh, the the record has been corrected that Nicolas Cage does care a great deal about his family, and the movie does not do a good job of depicting that. But
2: anyway. It's a movie. It is, it's fake. It, it is. Yeah. It is imaginable, though, that Hugo Weaving's entire career only exists because <laughs> Nick
3: Cage said <laughs> no to stuff. You know. Yes. <laughs> there are just so many sliding doors moments yes. in Nicholas Cage's career. I mean, before that, obviously Superman. Uh, Superman Lives, which you know, what if that yeah. had happened? You know, what if you know, what if he had done Dumb and Dumber, which seemed like a possibility at one point. Um what a, you know, kind of sends him down a different career path as well. It's 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 fascinating.
0: Yeah. Uh your Hardware,
1: your thoughts on, on Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this too. Um I, I think what I was surprised by was like how genuinely heartfelt it is. Like there there's a lot of emotions going on here, and you know, it explores like somebody who's clearly obsessed, a fanboy of this character. And how? What if a fanboy gets to meet his idol? You know, for the first time. I think Pedro Pascal does a great job of just geeking out. He is hilarious <laughs> in this movie. And as a Nicolas Cage fan, like I, I love, I love the deep cuts. I wish they were deeper, but I love that the the golden guns from Face Off get a you know get a decent amount of time. Uh, watching this movie made me think, like, I could you do this with any other actor? You know, like Nicolas Cage is such a weird star. Because he's not—he's not just an actor. He's not—he's not quite a superstar, I'd say, right? But he, nope. He well, is Nicolas Cage—he is a singular thing, and you know what you're getting.
0: Yeah. like it's like yeah. how being
2: John Malkovich only works because it's John Malkovich, right? You know? right. kind. Uh, there's of. Yeah, there's yeah, a yeah, few yeah.
0: things. I think there's a few things about this movie specifically that make it so that Nicolas Cage has to be the one. First of all, I mean, you you need to have a certain level of notoriety that there'll be people obsessed with you, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and that's actually a lot of people, you know, like Kevin Hart or, you know, The Rock or whoever else, like many people are going to have like people obsessed with them. So like, I don't, that part is like less difficult to me. Like anybody
2: in Jumanji basically is what
0: you're saying. (laughs) All the people in Jumanji, Aquafina, everyone, you know. (laughs) Um, But the thing that makes... This movie interesting, I think, is that Nicolas Cage's um, filmography is so diverse, yes, right? Like, yes. there's so many just weird ass choices, both in terms of acting choices, but also like just the projects that he chooses, right? Uh, that make for what I think is a more unique and enriching experience because it's this specific actor, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. I think also
3: Um, like the last decade and kind of the VOD red box wilderness gives it a, Mm. a, no one else really has, there's others that have kind of entered that world, but they're not quite entered that world while still maintaining the cultural attention that Nicholas Cage, I I mean, you know, people, you know, obviously people love John Cusack and, you know, Bruce Willis uh, has spent time in that world as, as, as well but there's you know it's part of it's part of a larger story of cage's career i think that's that's something 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 he really shares with anybody else mm-hmm. the, and the also-
1: movies tend to like he the, he's the center of gravity of those movies and they tend to warp around him right and i think like that is an energy not many other actors or stars have you know like that's the thing but yeah, go ahead jeff
2: well, I was going to say it also it also hinges on the fact that he's an actor who constantly works. Yes, right. Yes. So it, it wouldn't it wouldn't really work with other actors that don't have sort of a reputation and and uh, uh, filmography that's that's constant, incessant, almost. You know.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was interesting again this uh, Hollywood Reporter interview to read about how Nicolas Cage almost rejected the project outright. He actually rejected <laughs> it multiple times, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell. And uh, the director, the writer director had to like contact him multiple times and like convince him that he was trying to honor his work. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I think it does. You know, I, I think the movie is a celebration of Nicolas Cage. Um, and,
3: and I think also the script obviously predates his involvement. But I think that divide between the young, brash, um, you know, attention-seeking kid the 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 Nikki Cage of the, of the character mm-hmm. and, and the sort of the you know someone who's kind of become a professional and more interested in that element of his career than the 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 stardom aspect of it. You know, I think that's something that gets something that that actually happened to Cage and, and that's something kind of true in the way, at least it's sort of the cage that you encounter in interviews and the way he talks about his career. Um I think they got that right. Or it feels like they got at something that is truthful in, in, in that, by, by making that split.
0: Mm-hmm, hmm Jeff Kanata, what were your thoughts on the unbearable
2: weight of massive talent? Well, Dave. I guess you could say my <laughs> thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent are best summed up in the form of a limerick.
0: Hmm, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if Keith Phipps has witnessed this ritual <laughs> yet. Perhaps, perhaps uh, we should explain what's happening
2: here. Yeah, no, it's not pleasant. Um... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here's the unfortunate thing is that dave realized that he was in the presence of a master craftsman of limericks and once he got a a, this is a a really different telling a a sweet taste of that then it became you know the first one's free and then it becomes this need this want this addiction that has to be Uh, obsession
0: i think is appropriate word yes uh, and
2: he's become maniacal to the point where you know i i i'm not allowed on the show unless i come equipped with a limerick dave has threatened he's <laughs> shouted limerick he screams
0: wow dave impression this time okay
2: yeah yeah so i apologize i wouldn't want to put anybody through this but it's it's not me it is the unbearable weight of my massive talent okay <laughs> here we go
0: well said well said jeff
2: he was all it was all coming around to that dave it's mm-hmm. a, nice done. a nice long, done. long yeah. setup all right here's well, the limerick <laughs> Nick Cage's career does consist of a couple of movies I've missed, but for all of his hits, I have two favorites, Adaptation and This. That's the list. Wow. Wow.
0: Oh, sorry. I didn't. Sorry. I thought this was the end of it. That's because you
2: are unfamiliar with how limericks work, Dave. They they... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they both rhyme and have a set number of syllables.
0: <laughs> I'm just used to you playing a little fast and loose with that meter, Jeff. Okay, adaptation
2: <laughs> and this—that's the list. Is the is the yes, last line?
0: I, po- I apologize for. St- I apologize,
2: Jeff. That's I uh, I do think this is this is my second favorite Nick Cage movie. uh, Which wow. sort of requires? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Nick Cage movies I dig. I mm-hmm. love this movie. I loved the every second of watching this movie. I had such a ball with it. Uh, it is a blast, and. I kind of I think might disagree a bit with uh all of you in the sense that I think this movie would work as a movie uh about just some random fictional actor. It's better because it's actually Nick Nick Cage mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uses uh, minds films that we know, but it could very well be I mean there's been a bunch of um I mean this is a bad comparison, but there's there's been a bunch <laughs> of uh of like um um it always happens to me. My brain doesn't work. Um, Adam Sandler movies where he like plays fake Adam Sandler, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you could uh, completely have done that in this movie. And I think it would still be very entertaining. You could have come up with fictional movies and you could have come up with a whole fictional career and it would have been uh, the movie I think works. It, It doesn't rely on the fact that it's Nick Cage, which I think is to its credit. I think it's better because it's Nick Cage. It, we it, it's juicier, it's fu- it's more fun. You get the joy of that self uh, referential the sort of uh, you know being willing to laugh at himself and make fun of himself that is so fun. But I think my biggest compliment to this film is that it it's a it's a great fun movie that works on its own as a comedy mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of that is because of Pedro Pascal and his performance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is because this script is smart enough not to fall into traps that it sets up for itself. There are a lot of of really obvious ways that this script could go that I kept thinking it was going to go and never does. And uh, I love that about it, that it, it was constantly surprising me with how, uh, how genuine it was, how it zigged instead of zagging on on relationships and not going for sort of the cheap, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, kind of characterization, the, the, the caricature of, of how something would be, but it, it's actually trying to create something really sweet and honest and, and lovely in the midst of something that's outrageous and hilarious and fun. And I, I had a blast watching it. My wife and I went together. She had a blast watching it. I think this is a real crowd-pleasing film. And one of my favorite movies of his entire career. I, I loved it. Uh,
0: I I don't know that we were saying it wouldn't work as a movie. Uh, but I think you're you're like without Nicolas Cage. I think you're right that it fundamentally functions as a film, and you could sure. put any famous actor in. But like something sure. about Nicolas Cage just gives the, it
1: this the, kind the tag of tagline no, no, no. of you, Nick you, Cage as Nick Cage. That's why you're going to see this movie. I agree. Yeah. I yeah. don't yeah. disagree yeah. with any of that. Yeah. But
2: I, I mean, I'm I, my my takeaway was that not even like any other actor, it, it could be a a non actor, it could be a fictional actor, it could be a, a a fake, it could be a movie about, you know, a movie about an actor that they invent for the sake of this movie that's played by anybody, whatever, you know what I mean? I just think that, that the premise doesn't hinge on it. I agree that it got me more excited to see it because it felt like, oh, it's fun. This is a great idea to have him skewer himself or, or you know, be willing to put his own persona on display but I, I was just impressed that that wasn't all the movie rested on like mm-hmm. it, there was actually a there there yes. as well
0: I agree completely with everything you said yeah um, I love this movie I think it's really a lot of fun as, as you guys have indicated uh, and as somebody who loves Nicolas Cage and really I mean you know, The Rock is one of my favorite movies of all time right? and it was like I remember when The Rock and Con Air came out in an extremely, like, Glorious The Rock, times, Con Air, yeah. and Face Off all came out in, like, a very short period of time, yeah. and I was like, this guy can do anything, you know? Like, he, <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> he is he's a genius. He's star a genius. for our generation, you know? Yeah. Um, Which is which is odd, because he's, he kind of plays, like, <laughs> in The Rock, he's kind of a dopey chemist, basically. He's the nerd. Yeah, yeah and the nerd. Well, the crazy and he,
2: thing is, the year before yeah. that, he did Leaving Las Vegas, and mm-hmm. got nominated for an Academy Award, and... Then he does the rock Conair and face off three, yeah. one, two, three. It's pretty, pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And just like an enormous amount of range and intensity and weirdness. And like, uh, there's many lines from the rock, like how in the name of Zeus's bunghole, you know, that I still <laughs> like quote to this day. And there's just something that he brings to his performances. That's unique. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, again, reading that Reddit ask me anything. I think he, it was referenced that like Ethan Hawke says, like Nicholas Cage is one of the few people to bring something new to the art of acting. Uh, that, like, you you can't see anywhere else. And uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that. So I really like the movie, but also agree with you, Jeff, that, like, it fundamentally works not only as a buddy comedy, but as a deconstruction of the buddy comedy itself. And mm-hmm. um and I enjoyed it for that reason as well. So I really like this movie. I think people should check it out.
2: Um, we probably... Yep, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's funny. Uh, I-, I saw an interview with him. I can't remember where. Uh, um uh, on the press tour of this film when he said um you know somewhere along the line hollywood forgot that i do comedies you know after Mm -hmm. you know raising Raising arizona Arizona. and uh leaving las vegas and stuff and i was like you you want to know where that happened it's the rock
3: con air face
2: (laughs) that's where it happened nick (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm
3: -hmm, it really mm -hmm. does feel like that stretch has kind of warped the direction of his career in mm, some ways. Right. I mean, yeah. he's done a lot of great films since then, but you know, after that, there's, there's kind of a lot of like trying to figure out where he fits in. You know, the, the odds, some of my favorite Nicolas Cage films are from the odds. but they're, they're, the, you know, his, his output there is kind of all over the place.
0: The, yeah, uh, I, I agree. It's kind of hard to track and the quality has been a little bit all over the place. So he's not been an easy, uh star to follow, uh, for sure. But I think we have a few more thoughts about this movie. Uh, why don't we get to spoilers for The Unbearable Way to Master Talent? Let's hit it starting right now.
2: Now you're looking for the secret.
1: Can you to see it's coming?
2: No. But you won't find it because, of course,
3: you're not going to see this coming.
2: You're not really looking. I have
0: been
3: puzzling over how it
2: works. You don't really want to work it out.
3: Who's in the box?
2: I have been dying to tell you. I you secret You want to be fooled.
0: All right, we're in spoilers for the unbearable weight of massive talent. I have to say, I think this movie is genetically engineered to get film Twitter excited. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, all the references to obscure Cage movies—you got a Mandy reference in there, right? Uh, I, I thought but about the actor when that happened. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. line where well, he
2: says, where he says, that, you know, something about Face Off, and he goes, "Yeah, Wu is a maestro."
1: Yeah. <laughs> I,
2: I love that. <laughs>
1: um, Paddington 2
0: gets Paddington two, 2, so much love. Oh, so much m- love. More than name yeah.
2: checked, Dave.
0: Yeah, multiple times. Praise is one of the best movies of all time. Right next, and and if you name the three best movies of all time, there is a strong case to be made that they are. Face Off, Paddington 2, and The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Like, that is a very reasonable assessment of what the top three movies of all time are. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, what Pedro Pascal says his, his three favorite movies are, which is incredible. Incredible. There's apparently uh, so, a
3: deleted scene that pays homage to Caligari, which I'd love to see, which I hope oh, turns yeah. up somewhere.
0: Yeah. Um. Let me ask you, Keith Phipps, uh, were there any, like, references that you were very gratified by or any that you uh, were bummed to not see uh, in the movie?
3: I, I was, I would like to tell you know, offhand and subtle. Some of them were, like, the scene where Pascal dives in the pool uh, after after Cage, which is kind of a direct, not I mean, you know direct lift from uh, Leaving Las Vegas, the way that's, mm-hmm, that's filmed, mm-hmm. and there's 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 fun things like that for sure. In terms of like stuff that was left out, I don't know. I mean, I, obviously, I would have eaten up one that you know multiplied the references and got even more obscure. But but I don't. I, that may just be for an audience of one or an audience <laughs> of a, a very a very small cult that would get those.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem to mind much from the things about his personal life that have become public, but I suspect that might have been at his insistence. Yeah,
3: well, it's not in the if you you know I've read the original screenplay uh, when writing the book, and and it's not a lot in there. The the spinning habits are are you know there's often reference to him 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 overspending um, and just sort of a general acknowledgement. That his career has taken some odd turns over the years, but yeah, it, it does. It mostly leaves Nicholas Cage's personal life, uh, the actual personal life of Nicholas Cage, uh, out, of, out of the movie entirely. I love the
0: uh, "We're back, baby, uh, but we never left." I think was what the line mm-hmm. was. Right, gonna mm-hmm. gonna use that line on the film cast a lot. I think so good. Um, but uh, also, he had said in the interview uh, with Hollywood Reporter that one of the things that convinced him to do the film was. The idea of like young Nicolas Cage, right? Like he interacts with young Nicolas Cage in this
3: movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nicolas Cage from
0: the wild at heart early 90s time era where he's like wearing the leather jacket and such. And there's this footage of him where he actually, like, that's actually his personality. And I just thought that was like a fascinating way of like an actor interrogating like a younger version of himself, like trying to be introspective and like confronting a younger version of himself,
2: making out with the younger version of himself.
0: yeah I just feel like it's you know um it, it, it's like uh it's rare and also I think in some ways brave and vulnerable for a, an actor to confront his persona in this way mm-hmm. um and uh, and I, I appreciate that part of it, you know he's he, like
1: he's, he's like kind of wrestling with his legacy in this movie yeah and I do yeah. appreciate that yeah I think that's right I
0: think and that's right it,
3: and in a way yeah. it's not always very flattering of his public persona of the, of the right. early 90s I mean that that Look is taken specifically from his appearance on the talk show Wogan, a British talk yes. show, <laughs> uh, yes. which if you just if you look up Nicolas Cage Wogan, W G O G A N on YouTube, you will be very much entertained. It's either an actor just losing his mind on television or a, a really <laughs> finely calibrated piece of performance art. Right. <laughs> it, but it,
0: it's like, according to him, that is genuinely him. Like that is actually who he was at that point in time. Uh, as far as I can tell, Keith, is that, is that comport with your understanding? Cause that was what I, the I, can't
3: I, compl- I you know, for all the, all the, all the work I've done, I, I cannot claim to have any great insight <laughs> into who Nicholas Cage was then, or, or is now in some ways. I mean, I, I have a sense of it, but I, I, if, if you were, to, you know, I, I would not make the claim that that that's, you know, actually Nicolas Cage.
0: Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, but it obviously is some version of him right it's it's maybe his public persona or yeah. the, the version of him that he felt he had to put like put to the world it's right? definitely a so. persona
3: he put out in the world' it's, it's a it tracks a little bit with like the one really extended piece of cage writing was was this kind of like this road trip diary he did for details, and it's very much the persona of someone you know a young rebel out to like you know uh take on the whole world and 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 things like that so that's that's you know, uh, whether or not this is a persona he's putting on for a talk show appearance or not, it does feel like there are elements of, of who he was at the time um, in, in that footage. Yeah. This
0: movie, uh, Unbearable Way to Master Talent, also enters this pantheon of movies like adaptation that is a movie about the making of itself, right? <laughs> um, and well, I guess it I'm curious. Yeah. yeah, it becomes that, right? Yeah. And I guess I'm curious, like, I'll start with Keith, then I want to hear from Jeff, like, Keith, like, what what did you think about the movie's attempts at deconstructing itself and, in some ways, breaking the fourth wall?
3: Yeah, they were fun. I mean, I, it, again, it's kind of it's kind of adaptation light in some ways, where there's acknowledgement of the third act as the third act's beginning, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, it, you you get the Pee Wee's Big Adventure ending <laughs> with the footage of the film itself <laughs> and, and Demi Moore as as his wife. I mean, it's it's all it's all very fun. I don't think it it wants it doesn't have adaptations' uh, desire to to deconstruct itself and unfold and and mm-hmm. fold in upon itself this whole screenwriting process uh but it's it's you know what's there is, is really entertaining i think
1: yeah uh, some things don't make sense i don't understand how <laughs> pedro pascal's character can just be out there wasn't he the public face of this like <laughs> mobster <laughs> for years i yeah. i don't understand that yeah yeah maybe um, that was the, he, he got a sweet deal by like yeah Saying everything, I, but yeah, I, it's I would confusing. agree with you that
0: it does hand wave away a lot of that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. No, nah, no argument. He here. clearly <laughs> knows
1: everything that was happening, you know, except for that kidnapping. So yeah, you know, yeah,
0: yeah. Jeff, did you have any uh, any thoughts on that component of it? Because you did you did name check adaptation as well in your in your
2: yeah. Memory. I I loved how the the sort of obvious been there done that version of this movie is. Nick Cage shows up. Uh, the Pedro Pascal character wants him to read the script, and it's terrible, and he has to deal with that. And I love how the, this movie is like: no, he's actually a talented screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Nick Cage seems to genuinely think the screenplay is good, and they collaborate in a very positive, mutually beneficial way. That right? That you know results into sort of this creative rediscovery in Nick Cage. Like it, it just felt so different than the way you expect this tale to go. You know, it, mm-hmm. it feels like I've seen that story over and over with the the annoying, obnoxious, hey, can you read my screenplay? I want to be your fanboy kind of thing. And I, I just love that the Pedro Pascal character was so much more interesting than that and that, that their relationship was a genuine one and, and they both got something out of it. And it wasn't just about Nicolas Cage being put upon by all these hangers-on that wanted to you know, drift off of his celebrity or his talent. That it really was this positive thing for him as well. Uh, I, I found that so delightful, and their bromance—you know, their their homo uh discovery of each other—is so delightful. It is it, it it is so wonderfully portrayed, and it it is so clear that the both both of these actual actors enjoy each other you know uh i've heard them both talk about how much fun they had making the movie with each other and it shows it's 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 charming it's it's just you just i didn't want the movie to end i just wanted to hang out with them more
3: i would love to see something that finds a way to pair them again they are really yeah. they're really fun together my favorite part of that or not
0: my favorite but one of my favorite parts of that that whole uh component of the movie was it kind of becomes a commentary on modern Hollywood filmmaking, right? Like they're basically saying, Oh, we can't make a movie. That's just two guys talking, right? Because it's not, we're not gonna be able to market it. We're not gonna be able Mm -hmm. to do X, Y, Z with it. And it's like, that's actually all true. Like that's not, they're not just joking about that stuff. That's actually all like accurate. And movies like this are really hard to get made. The budget for this movie was around, I think, uh, 25, $30 million. Um, it only made seven and a half million dollars opening weekend. So, you know, it's, it did not terribly, but not great. It's going to be hard, I think, to make back its its uh, production budget, at least at the box office. Um, so it is a bit sad that, like, the movie kind of comments on the fact that movies like this don't do well, or it's hard for them to do well at the box office, and then the movie didn't do well at the box office, you know? Um, but uh, at the same time, extremely grateful that the movie got made at all. You know, like, it's, it's special to be able to see a movie like this still, uh, in yeah. the theater especially, so... Uh, any other thoughts on unbearable weight of massive talent? Um, any any closing thoughts on uh, w- how we feel this movie? Uh, any any favorite bits that you guys had that uh, I mean? The, wanted to the, mention?
2: In a, it seems like the you know the comedy scene du jour uh, in the, for the last I don't know mm-hmm. ten years has been a drug scene. Uh-huh. This has mm-hmm. got to be my top three drug scenes ever. I, it's it's just for for a comedy. I mean. Uh, it's just so much fun to watch them uh <laughs> try to get over that wall and, and that whole sequence is just such a delight. I mean, I was I was doubling over with laughter through the through many stretches of this movie. It's so That's much the
3: same. Really inspired bit and really well filmed. I mean, this is Tom Gormican's first film as a director, and it's uh you know, co-written by Kevin Etten, who's a longtime um TV comedy person. And I feel like it really is, it did it, it plays like, you know, people who really are kind of leveling up. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a fun screenplay and I think Cormacan's direction is, is really fluid and, 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 and effective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think makes for a good drug scene, Jeff? Because you seem to have an opinion on it. <laughs> and, well, and I, I agree, I, I find the trope to be fairly tiresome. You it know? is tiresome in, and, in and in I find TV. it,
2: I, I, I think I can answer the inverse of that much easier than, yeah. than you know, it's hard. What makes I, for a bad one? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think they you know whenever it it, it it goes into special effects to try to yeah you know visualize yeah. the the sort of uh, uh you know visions or the you know the the word I'm looking for the uh, you know psychotropic kind of elements of yeah it. hallucinations uh, I, I yes guess. hallucination that's the word I was looking for um it, that, it's just I I find it, it it's more like a dream sequence and it's like I I tend to be you know, yeah, I have a sh- little patience for dream sequences in movies too. Um, I kind
0: of, I kind of hate dream sequences in TV shows yeah. and films. Oh,
2: I'm you know, right there like with you. Like
0: when, when <laughs> everyone was like the Sopranos, is amazing. There's a whole episode that's a dream sequence. I'm like, get back to the plot. <laughs> yes. You know, like, yes. Well, it doesn't matter if like the, no you know? the thing you're watching is already imaginary. It's like, yes, I don't need to watch what an imaginary character is imagining. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, there's a, like,
2: there's no stakes. There's no rules. A dream right. is is just like
1: David Lynch is just uh, sighing. Uh,
0: yeah, a
2: quarter oh, like what?
3: what? It's His let entire filmography. Sigh.
1: Yeah, let him sigh.
0: Let him sigh. Anyway. Uh, sigh. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it's to- a pass, though, right? I mean, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but I think yeah, the, I-
2: the, 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 just like actual drugs. Tends to be more fun for the people doing it.
0: Exactly. exactly.
2: Than the people watching it.
0: Watching. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, You know what? A weird exception to this, though, is um, Worst Person in the World. Uh, Oh, I agree. There's a a direct sequence to that that is like, I usually hate sequences like this, but it ended up being okay in that movie. Yeah, well, (laughs) that movie.
2: I think really uh, treads lightly on its uh, whimsical kind of flights right. of fancy. And when it uses them, it uses them really, really well. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's why but, it was one of my, I think it was my top or number two movie of the year that year. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I think this movie is in that same category where it doesn't, it doesn't rely on, you know, showing you, you know, crazy weird special effects to try to convey the sense of being on drugs. It just shows people in an altered state, doing very very funny things, and uh, the the comedic beats live and and work uh, regardless of the fact that they're you know on drugs, but obviously it could only happen because they're on drugs. But they, it's it's not just like oh look at how silly these people are behaving. It's they're doing this very specific thing that is also very funny.
1: Mm-hmm. But they're also like really going for it too. Yeah. which is what I think. Like the the true like romance of their bromance really shines through through that sequence so that's that's what i found was really it, it's good character work in addition to just being fun so that,
2: that first shot uh, when they're in the car and pedro pascal just turns his head and he has that giant smile on his face yep. it's just yep. so funny
0: all right folks um well i think that's going to bring us the end of our review of the unbearable weight of massive talent it's a really fun movie a lot of great references uh, and it sounds like we all had a great time. I, I love watching this in a theater with a the crowd and, you know, everyone laughing and recognizing the Nicolas Cage references. Uh, it was a blast. It was a blast. Uh, April 2022, truly an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the movie standpoint. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that Dom, Tom Gormican made a movie. So um, great work there. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at filmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song. Comes courtesy of Tim McEwen over at the Midnight. Check out his new project, Varsity Blue. Uh, our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs bumper comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Uh, I want to say before we talk about what we're discussing next week, Keith Phipps, a huge thank you to you for joining us for the entire episode of the FilmCast. Man, we hope you had a great time here.
3: I had a great time. Anytime you uh, you know reach out. Anytime you want to, want me on the show, really appreciate
0: it. Be sure to check out Keith's book, Age of Cage. Uh, which takes you through four decades uh, of Nicolas Cage's career, uh, and also check out his newsletter, The Reveal, as well. All right, next week. There's nothing out coming coming out next week uh, except for Liam Neeson's new movie, which is called, I think, Memory? Um, but we are not going to review Lisa, uh, Liam Neeson's new movie. We're going to be instead <laughs> reviewing a movie that came out this last week at the same time as Nicolas Cage's movie, The Northman robert Eggers' newest film uh new film that cost around 70 million dollars after tax credits uh and it's
2: wow, pretty we interesting get the,
1: we get the budget in there and everything in this yeah film. Wow, it's amazing it, it, <laughs> hey
2: it, if you if you want to tune in next week for budget talk yes <laughs> ladies oh, yeah. and gentlemen
1: I, I got
0: you covered i yeah. got you covered but yeah that's the northman we'll be discussing it next week on the Filmcast and on the after arc this week bringing out the dead we're going to be reviewing uh martin scorsese's film starring nicholas cage patreon.com slash film podcast for that thanks so much for listening we'll see you next week